Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's my sibling with the scoop. It's my sister, Marissa. Uh, no, Michael. No. No. <laughs> not a good alias. Not we a good alias. Same, we do have the same last name. It's not weird for us we to do. have the same last name. <laughs> no. <laughs> it is weird for Janet and Michael Scoop. <laughs> yeah, it would be a really inter- interesting set of parents that produced <laughs> Michael and Janet as siblings. <laughs> You would have to imagine it would be a situation where the dad had two different families across, you know, two different wives, right? Yeah, but Michael's like in his 70s and Janet's like 25, so I don't know about... I, you know, Char- Charlie Chaplin, man. Charlie Chaplin. That's right. Charlie, it's the, not the same for men. Charlie Chaplin had babies when he was in his 70s. Yeah, but he was too old to pick them up. Thank you, Billy anyway. Crystal. <laughs> yep, we should do an Harry Met Alley. Just one day. Yeah. Just for fun. Yeah, okay. Anyway. <laughs> You're like, can we get to it, please? Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot to get to in this episode. Yeah, this episode was great. Sure is. Uh, before we get to the episode, um, housekeeping, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Um, if you're new, welcome. We always like to give a shout out to new people. Also, Yeah, this is the first you- time we're doing it, but we always do like to do it. No, but like we've said, if you're new, if you've come from, if usually I preface it with, if you think you're watching, if you think you're listening, right? Yeah. If you if you're here by accident because you think this is the real good place podcast, it is not. We hope you stick around. <laughs> also, shouts to uh, my coworkers who might be listening because they were like, "Oh my god, I love the good place," and I was like, "Do I have a podcast for you? It stars <laughs> me." <laughs> So, it's the hey, Brack show you're starring me and Brack. <laughs> exactly. We're a little loose today. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Find us on iTunes, Google Play, goodplay.cast.rocks. You can please uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That would be great. Uh, follow and like us uh, on Facebook. We have a group called The Good Play. Twitter, Marissa tweets at The Good Play Pod. She live tweets every episode. And you can email us at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. No emails this week. Oh, what a bummer. Yeah. That's okay. More time to discuss uh, River Tam Janet. River Tam Janet. (laughs) Literally. Yes. You want to get started with the recap? Do you want me to do it? I can get our recap on. All right. So we open on the house of Doug Forsett, played by Michael McKeon, a.k.a. David St. Hubbins, a.k.a. That real one really great X Files episode. <laughs> Person in the. <laughs> Do you remember that when he and Mulder switch bodies? I don't. It's like six seasons, so it was probably after you stopped paying attention. But it was a good Maybe. one. Anyway, he's a great comedic actor. Obviously, he's in a lot of um, a lot of the. Uh, what's the you know who's the improvisational Spinal director tap. guy? No, but who's the director of all those? Uh. uh Oh, for Christ's sake. Christopher Rob Guest. Reiner. Christopher Guest is the one who does Rob, all the improvisational Rob stuff. Reiner. Rob Reiner. Reiner specifically did Spinal Tap. That's not who I was thinking about. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm so sorry. Christopher Guest! Michael McKean is in the Christopher Guest movies! He's in the Christopher Guest verse. The Six-Fingered Man. Anyway, <laughs> this is his house. <laughs> and we see him... 
<laughs> Sorry. We see him gardening and reading a Peter Singer book. Peter Singer is a very controversial philosopher. Mm. And has and he's reading the Peter Singer book, Do All the Goods You Can. He uh, plays on an eight-track tape, I think. The Mama yeah. Cass song, Don't Let the Good Life Pass You By, which is, of course, the title of the episode. Uh, Michael and Janet come to the house and pretend to be journalists from a Calgary newspaper that they assert is 100% printed on uh, recycled newsprint. And therefore, Doug Forsett, yes, agrees to be interviewed and photographed. And they kind of get him to do a pose for the photograph that matches the, the photo that Michael had in his office. Doug Forsett kind of reiterates what we already knew, which is that he got high on mushrooms and he had a vision of the afterlife and so he already knows about the point system he knows about the good place and the bad place and the fact that eternal torture awaits you in the bad place and you need sufficient points to get into the good place he spent his entire life since that hallucination trying to accumulate enough points to get into the good place Doug Doug is like extremely polite and he says oh my goodness we've been talking for like 30 seconds and I haven't offered you anything to eat or drink and but of course he only has radishes to offer them he seems to he only subsists on what he can farm which is radishes and lentils and then he offers them some water and Michael notes that it has kind of a funny aftertaste and and Doug Forsett admits that of course all of his water is recycled urine and Michael's like oh, okay and Ted Danson I saw Ted Danson's tweet of like it was like a gif of him spitting out water and he goes you're in for a treat when you drink with Doug Forsett <laughs> Oh my god Ted Danson equals terrific dude So you know, but and Michael had been so like geeked out to meet him, and and when he did, you know, he says something like, oh, "He seems so normal. Like it's true. The stars really are just like us." Yeah, he's like for a celebrity. And, he's really down to earth. Made me laugh the whole time, the whole trip to Doug Forsett's. Janet is just standing there, like, "Oh my god, <laughs> somebody please make this stop." They have deposited the cockroaches at a Calgary bar called the Puking Moose. I knew we were going to get some Canada jokes. Yeah. Some shots off on Canada. Yeah. Cheedy is not um, maybe utilizing English as well as he normally does because he is totally jet lagged from going like Budapest to Florida to Arizona and now to Calgary like I've I've lost track of their travel quite frankly. So has he. Yes. So he and Jason start playing a game of pool and Jason tells him it's Jacksonville style which means that it's basically <laughs> Calvin ball in pool form. Yeah, you make up you do whatever you want, you make up the it's points. It's like adult Calvin ball. Yes. Uh so Eleanor, you know, now that Chidi is distracted, Eleanor kind of grabs Tahani's ear and says she needs some advice needs some advice and Tahani's like oh goodness is this about your grading speaking voice thank goodness because I think with a little bit of vocal training and Eleanor's like what 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 and Tahani's like what nothing not no it's fine (laughs) hilarious (laughs) at Doug Forsett's house he's showing them around his organic garden that only produces lentils and radishes and Janet asks him if he's lonely and he says no he has his animal friends, who he doesn't name in case they have names they already prefer. Just, it's almost a commentary on extreme wokeness, but maybe I'll, maybe I won't touch that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> maybe not. Uh, 
Yeah. So so at the bar, Eleanor asks Tahani, <laughs> I'm just going to read this quote. Thank you for transcribing it. You're welcome. I, I got to pause because I was watching it on NBC.com. When is the right time to tell someone you were passionate lovers in an alternate timeline in the afterlife, but he doesn't remember because technically none of that happened in this strand of the multiverse? <laughs> and Tani literally just goes, Ugh. and Eleanor's like, it's fine. I'll just ask Yahoo Answers. I'm sure someone's got this covered. Yahoo then, Answers. I love that. The brain trust at Yahoo Answers. Yes. And Tahani's like, look, the only reason you would want to tell Chidi is because you want something to happen now. And Eleanor's like, yeah, Eleanor says, yeah, that's really good advice. And also Tahani mentioned something about like, you know, I'm sure that we were friends and all the we were best friends and all the reboots. And Eleanor's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Also... (laughs) That was so also, funny. She just lets her have it. She's like, yep, yeah, that's exactly Which it. is sweet. And then she says, yes. also, you made a really hot centaur. And Tahani's like, what the, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's unresolved. Yeah. We don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> we have to have a 12-minute Janet fight sequence. We don't oh have God, time amazing. for more dialogue. <laughs> so Doug Forsett is showing Michael and Janet a pen where he keeps 71 stray wolves and dogs anyone it, it that just any... keeps getting bleaker it just keeps yeah getting... oh my god yes it's unbelievable and anytime like a canine basically wanders onto his property he puts them in this pen and feeds them and gets mauled a lot Ugh. uh you like a boy comes up on a bicycle who whose name is Raymond and <laughs> Doug says he's the, the local sociopath and Raymond says you know get a load of this guy he'll do anything you want as long as you tell him that it'll make you happy and he's like Doug like give your shoe to this guy it'll make me happy and Doug's like giving his shoe to Michael Michael's like I don't want your shoe man yeah. and when Doug kind of wanders off to, I think to retrieve his shoe Janet says Doug is a happiness pump and do you know do you remember what that is and Michael's like I remember learning about it but I remember Eleanor and Jason were just making dirty jokes about it. <laughs> so I was like yeah that sounds accurate she says a happiness pump is a critique of utilitarianism where becoming obsessed with maximizing the overall good means that you yourself you know you basically become selfless but not it not in the way that people describe maybe mother Teresa or whatever as selfless but like truly selfless in that you have no consideration for yourself whatsoever yeah like and, you will you will put the needs of everybody else over even like your most like literally needs. everybody like strangers <laughs> yeah or the local sociopath <laughs> Right, and it's not, I mean, and you could say, well, you know, a firefighter does that. Well, yeah, in very specific situations where they are the ones on duty and there are people's lives at risk. A firefighter was not going to take off his shoe, give it to a random vagabond. That's not how any of this (laughs) works. So then Doug comes in and he's got, like, these red marks all over his face. And he says, well, I I volunteered at the local cosmetics company. Side note, there's no local cosmetics company in Calgary, but it's fine. I I volunteered... Yes, I do. <laughs> I volunteer with the local cosmetics company to let them test on me so that they won't test on any rabbits. It's like, oh my god. This was maybe the point where I was like, we need to leave this guy's house right now. 
I know. I was I was so bummed. I've been waiting to meet this guy forever, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yes, you have. It fits in so well with the overall critique of the whole point system, though. You know, no, I mean, it what does. could possibly it have does. happened? Ulti- ultimately, this is. I mean, we'll talk about it. Ultimately, there was no other way for this to go. But I right, it bummed me out. <laughs> yes. So. Doug just sort of gets more and more desperate to get more points out of these visitors. He he accidentally calls Michael Mark. And Michael's like, oh, it's fine. I always wanted to be called Mark anyway. And he's like, you lie. And then he's like, oh, I just accused you of lying. I'm going to give you a really nice haircut to make, to make up for. And he like turns around and runs to get his scissors. And he steps on a snail. And... <laughs> He's like, oh, God, is that? And Michael's like, yeah, it was a snail. And he's like, does anyone know snail first aid? And Janet's like, yeah. And Michael's like, no. <laughs> and Janet's like, I love oh, that. I was like, of course Janet no. would know snail first yeah. aid. Yeah, so we can table this discussion, but Janet arguably should have already known everything that was going to happen on this visit since she is omniscient about everything that happened more than a year oh, ago. yeah. So Janet should have known how this guy was living his life up to the point of a year ago. And I think we can safely assume that he's been living like this for 40 years his or whatever. Whole life, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So back at the bar, Chidi and Jason are, yeah, they're playing beer pong with pool balls. Yeah, basically. Uh, so Eleanor goes up to Chidi. She's like, hey, man, can I talk to you for a minute? And she's like, yeah, no worries. And they go and sit down. And Eleanor's like, I just, I need to tell you that you and I are Bombajon because she sees Bombajon come in the bar and she's like you know I never really thought about it but you and I really are Bombajon and she's like no you yeah. shit lagged moron like <laughs> Bombajon he's a demon he just came in the bar and she looks around and she notices that every other patron and remember the only reason that Eleanor is the one who knows all this and the other three cockroaches don't is because we spent the entire last episode wallowing around in Eleanor's memories so she knows yeah. all the demons or, you know, all the major demons who were in the bad place with her. Yeah. Vicky, so she notice, yeah. notices all, they're all demons. And she goes over and she's like, Jason, Tahani, I'm going to, you know, listen to me. Everybody at this bar is a demon. And <laughs> Tahani's like, just because they're all wa- wearing like acid blasted denim, they're still <laughs> subject. They're still subjects of the Queen's realm, right? Which is such an amazing thing for a Brit to say about Canadians. And and Eleanor is like, no, they're literally demons from the bad place. And like, she's like, we'll go out this way, you'll go out that way. And then Jason immediately makes a Molotov cocktail out of nothing. And she's like, how did you make that so quickly? No, it was cheaty. It was cheaty. Be like, how did you, what? And he... Try, like picks it up and tr- starts to yell Bortles, but then uh, Vicky takes it from him and douses it in a glass of beer and sort of capture all of them and sit them at the bar. And Sean comes up and he's like, hello, idiots. And they're all just kind of staring blankly at him. And he's like, Ugh, yeah, you don't remember who I am. You're very scared of me. <laughs> Where's Michael? That was great. Yes. And where is Michael? He's at a funeral for the snail that Doug has named Martin Luther Gandhi Tyler Moore Snail because he imagines this snail to have been amongst the best of all snails. And <laughs> Doug's like, Michael, you say a few words and Michael laughs and he's like, oh, you were serious. Uh, yeah. Um, Martin was a lot of things, uh, mostly a snail, but also a friend. <laughs> he, the line delivery in this episode. I know. 
<laughs> as with every episode, is amazing. So, so, so Doug says, you know, he has to go. He's going to go make a donation to a snail charity, but he doesn't seem to own any means of conveyance. I would have thought uh, uh, a dude like this would have been biking everywhere, but he seems not to even own a bike. So he he seems to be about to go walk off with a sack full of $85 in, just from judging by the bulk of the sack, in pennies. <laughs> Canadian loonies, pennies. Isn't it like loonies and toonies? <laughs> well, yeah, but that sack was way too full to be full of I thought it had some clothes for $85. I thought it had some clothes Oh, that might be it. That might be it. He said he was going to be gone for three weeks because he had to walk to Edmonton. Right. So our mom has been to Edmonton. You know that? No, I don't think she was. I don't think she was a fan. Was she um, there for this nail charity? Yeah, obviously the Canadian. So mollusk, he's like a ba- mollusk association. Uh huh. So he's about to set off on this journey, and Michael sits him down. And he's like, "Look, I've been all over this crazy blue marble, and I've seen some." And Janet's like, "Cut to the chase." And so Michael's like, "Look, you know, whatever your point scheme is that you like." imagine there to be because he can't confirm it otherwise he dooms this guy to the bad place you know haven't you probably earned enough points already and can't you kind of ease up and like eat ice cream and chicken parm and Doug Forsett's like no I can't because there's or an account drink what does he say drink something that didn't come out of you <laughs> yeah exactly and Doug's like no, I can't because there's an accountant keeping track of all my points and like one slip up and that could be the thing that keeps me out of the good place and then I get tortured forever. So the logical thing for me to do is to always be aiming for maximum points. It's the only says, rational way to live. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, I have to walk to Edmonton to give $85 to a snail charity. <laughs> right. And Michael and Chandler are just like, Ugh, and they and he walks off. So at the bar... Sean is, you know, Eleanor's like, why don't you just take us, you know, wherever you're going or whatever. And Sean's like, oh, I'm waiting for Michael. I need to see the look on his face. And Eleanor's like, well, you're, you know, Michael and Janet are 10 steps ahead of you. And you may think that you're going to pull one over on them, but nothing could be further from the truth because you're never going to see Michael and Janet again. And that's, of course, when they walk in and Michael's Doug like. Doug is a complete disaster. And I drank his piss. <laughs> Like, he comes in just, like, he comes in, Michael comes in hot. He just, he's, like, already losing it. It's great. Uh, And then he sees Sean, and Sean's like, yeah, that's the look on his face. I was looking for it, and it is perfect. If him just be like, oh, no. Yeah, he's like, it's like Mike Birbiglia, like, oh, no. That thing where the realization comes to Mike Birbiglia and waves, and he's just like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So Sean and Michael start like like male aggressioning verbally at each other, Just like aggro cragging, <laughs> I call it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sean being like, We're here for the humans, the Michael's like, You're gonna have to go through me, which is so sweet, honestly. I was like, Oh Michael and then Sean's like, That's the idea and Michael's like, Well and Janet's like, This is dumb, let's fight and then she attacks all of them. <laughs> so she doesn't have any supernatural powers, but neither do they. Uh, what she has that they seem to lack is a complete knowledge of every fighting style that any human being has ever invented. It's like she went through the training <laughs> program in the Matrix. Yes, <laughs> Remember when exactly. they just load him up with yes. all the... Great. <laughs> More. Yes. I know Kung Fu. Yes. Um, Show me. She seems to mostly be... St- 
fighting like Jackie Chan style because she uses yeah. a lot of fun props. It is bonkers bananas, and it is a hundred percent River Tam Summer Glau in uh, in uh, this is Serenity. Yeah, Serenity. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the I tweeted out a gif of of River Tam destroying the Reavers. Uh, spoilers for Serenity. Come on, get it, get it, get it together, guys. But how I, old is that movie? I don't think you have to. <laughs> very old. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just I tweeted out a gift of River Tam just like balletically. I don't know if you can say it if you can say ballet ishly, balletically like destroying the Reavers. That's what basically Janet does. She just just cuts a path through all these demons, and it's um it's so great. I went back and rewatched just this part. It's so much fun. Yeah. Um. At some point, Chris the mailman who you know rips off his shirt and yells something about going to the gym. <laughs> Although. What we know about the Bad Place employees is that they actually don't have a life outside work. So I'm not sure when he's going to the gym, but it's fine. Hey, I have a gym in my office. Oh, good point. So, you know. So Chini is grabbed by Chris the mailman, the fake mailman. And Eleanor, like, is is holding onto his legs to try to keep him in this world. Because, of course, the demons have this, like... um, portal that they built back to the bad place you know like a shining red door and obviously evil door it's so sad that red is always the evil color because it's my favorite but it's okay and then tahani comes up with a pool cue and she says on guard and chris kind of looks at her and then she just whacks him over the head with the pool cue and kind of knocks him out for a minute and she says obviously i wouldn't do that in competition that's like a three-tenths deduction (laughs) yes it's pretty great i thought that was great he does wake up, but Michael has the little frog keychain thingy and can pop open the real door to... Now, it goes to Jen, so I'm not It goes sure. to the doorman. Sure. Okay, but hold on. I don't know how close Jen is to the doorman, but yeah, like, it doesn't go to it the It doesn't go place. to the it bad g- place, right. It goes, it goes to, to the catwalks. Right. The, the like, backstage of the afterlife. Yes. Right, but... So this is, I'm not going to jump ahead too, too much, but this is why we don't see the same demons kind of entering the bar later, I think, because it's not clear to me what exactly is going to happen to them when they go through the real door. But, uh, so, so Michael is basically just kind of shooting this door around and Janet is knocking people into it, which is pretty great. Great. Val is about to marbleize Janet and is like crowing about it, but, um. She like slams her face into a table. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, Jason throws a pool ball at her i thought oh that you're right yeah so she wait he no no, no. The noggin. it did that's yeah, a different guy maybe. oh maybe i don't know it was such a brawl i lost track <laughs> janet's kicking butt and taking names and then so yeah. eleanor and chidi are crouching behind the bar and this is so great this is so great she just says is it just me or is janet a straight hottie right now she eleanor goes, bisexual icon <laughs> just like <laughs> did you want to do the chidi line yeah, he goes, how are you this close to being dragged to hell and still horny? And she's like, listen. <laughs> it's great. Dragged to hell is such like the perfect, such a yeah. perfect verbiage for this. Um, and Chidi's like, how did you know they were demons? She's like, I don't have time to talk about this right now. And then she's like, oh, I don't, we could die in the next 30 seconds. Fine. Like, you know, I, I got our mem- I got some of my memories back from when we were dead and like you and I were like a thing and at some point Vicky tries to like launch across the bar at them and Eleanor just straight punches her in the face. <laughs> Vicky falls back, it's pretty great, so that they can continue having their conversation. <laughs> Where she says she says, you know, 
you know, in this other timeline, you and I were like really a thing. We were in love with each other. And I think that I'm in love with you now in this timeline, in this bar in Calgary. In Canada, in, in, Canada, in a brawl with demons. And demon just, and she just kind of looks at her like, what? And then yeah, that's he, the end he of that. Because just is like, I can't. <laughs> understandably, right? Yeah. 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 I thought so, I thought that there was like a small chance that he would like kiss her the way that like you might kiss somebody if you thought you were gonna die. Like this is my last shot. Le- yeah, whatever. like uh, like Leia giving Luke that kiss before they go across the chasm on the little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean it's gross because they're brother and sister, but it's fine. Oh, I was crying. Spoilers. R.I.P. For yeah, R.I.P. Yeah. So. Janet kind of gets to gets partially shoved through the bad doorway and she says, oh, cool. When I'm even just slightly touching, you know, the the um, the afterlife, you know, all my powers come back. And they're like, really? And then she like destroys them because she has super strength now. And she's like, yes, thanks for asking. (laughs) So (laughs) she's great. The whole thing, she's like super aggro and then she'll turn and still have that voice. So she'll be like, guys, get somewhere safe. It's so cute. Yes. (laughs) Yes. She's like whipping everybody's butts and she's like, hey guys, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so she she does get knocked through the door completely at one point and you're kind of like, oh no. But then she springs back into the living world with the power of a thousand Janets. And she like just slams Sean like through a table, basically. And then yeah, we great. see that he's been he's been tied up and... You know, Michael's like, why do you care about these, you know, like, don't you have enough nostrils to stuff wasps into? And Sean's like, I want these nostrils. I know. He's like, I want these nostrils. And then he says, sort of disturbingly, like, it doesn't matter. We're going to get them eventually. And all of their loved ones and even your precious PP king, Doug Forsett. Mm. And and he's like, do you want to know what else I know? And... Michael's like, not really, and shoves Sean through the uh, that the was real great. Door. That was super yeah. great. And Michael's like, why should I keep letting him say mean things? <laughs> Which is just like a, point. Uh, something that I want everyone to remember next time somebody is like <laughs> giving you a hard time, just like mentally shove them through the afterlife door. Yeah, why should kill I them. let somebody <laughs> in your brain? Tell- yeah, yeah. Why should I let somebody say bad things to me? Yes. So. After he's gone, Chidi's like, why did he seem pretty sure that Doug Forsett was going to the bad place when you said he was the blueprint on how to get into the good place? And Michael's like, look, I used to think that the problem with the point system was that it didn't allow for the fact that humans can change after they're dead. But now I'm thinking that the problem with the point system is way deeper than that. So... Look, Janet and I are going to go to the accountants. Now, it's not clear to me if it's singular accountant apostrophe S or if there's a... I always imagine the accounting department as being multiple beings, but I I don't know. He said, we're going to go to the accountants and you stay at Doug Forsett's house. You'll be safe there. And then as he's saying that, he's like, actually, we're all screwed because all these all these like secondary demons come start coming into the bar. And Janet's like, "Okay, I have an idea. I'm gonna. I think I can take you all into my void, and they're like, and Chidi's like, yeah, great void. Let's go there. And Janet's like, okay, but it's definitely gonna kill you on Earth. So like, say goodbye to being alive. And Chidi's like, wait, what? And then it's the Janet noise, like doo doo, and they're all gone. Yeah, and that's it. And that's it. I mean, and that's, that's it. I was like, this 
episode was, I think, the best of season three. What do you think? Yes. Yes, I think I agree with that. I, I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, Janet kicking butt. <laughs> I mean, that is also my it's my favorite part of Serenity is when River Tim destroys the rivers. I basically like any petite ladies laying waste to everything. Like, super into La- that. Laying waste to like those who would hurt her and her loved ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Oh, this episode has a lot of implications. Where do you even want to start? <laughs> I don't know, but, like, I just did the whole recap, so you start. Okay. I'll start with, like, very little things, and then maybe we can build up to some other stuff. Um, One is that apparently that uh, opening shot of Doug Forsett, like, getting out of bed and turning on Mama Cass and, like, doing a whole bunch of, like, normal morning routine stuff is actually the beginning, a, a nod to the beginning of the second season of Lost when they find uh, Desmond. I don't know what any of that means, but that sounds legit. I watched, so again, listeners, we have not watched Lost, but I was like, oh, (laughs) we're not going to watch Lost. uh, Rolling Stone linked to it, and I was like, oh, let me check this out. And it is the same kind of thing where he is, you don't see his face, but he's waking up, he's getting out of bed, he's like exercising, he's making breakfast, he's doing laundry, and he's playing a different Mama Cass song. If it's something oh, like uh, Make Your Own Music or whatever. I forgot what it's called. And then That's a nice that's he, a nice tip of the cap. Yeah. So they're both interrupted by people at their door, but the difference is that Michael and Janet just come to the front door like normal people. And in Lost, Desmond lives in like an underground bunker and he hears the noise of Matthew Fox's character opening up the hatch and he like gets all of his like weapons and guns and everything and like looks through like this whole series of mirrors and stuff that he has set up and so it follows like you don't know he's in an underground bunker until you follow the series of like tubes and mirrors and all kinds of stuff up through and then you see basically the noise he heard was two of the characters who we met in season one lifting up the hatch. Okay, like, What's I down stop. Here? I cannot. I cannot care. Stop. Don't okay, care about. Okay, that's the end. So I don't need to cool. <laughs> continue. But it's interesting because we have the reason I bring it up is because we've had a lot of conversations about how Lost and The Good Place have like a lot of sort of thematic similarities. DNA. Yeah. And com- yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michael Schur obviously talked to Damon Lindelof, but I didn't realize like, this is like a direct homage in a way that I think a lot of the other stuff isn't. So it's just sort of funny. Right. Um, that we have that. So that's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing is just like a little shout out to our new fan, uh, Jenny from last week. Uh, from the who block. said that she really, digs my supernatural references so i will just say <laughs> that demons populating a rural dive bar is like so supernatural that i assumed that the brothers were like gonna have a cameo in the corner i was like where are they like as they demons were... or as like the bar no, owners the who are like them, oh we better get like, out of here just yeah it's just like here they are again <laughs> like i want the good place and supernatural like share a corner of the universe. Um, That'd be but really it's weird. very. But I actually thought that scene where she like looks up and realizes that they're surrounded by demons. Like, I felt her panic in that moment. I thought she did a great job with that. 
As we have seen before, Eleanor is the only one of them who has any head for a crisis. I mean, unless you count Jason's ability to make a Molotov cocktail in less than a second. Like, Which at the does. end of season yes. one, yes, at the end of season one, when they're about to be rebooted, she's the only one who's like, okay, come on, guys, like, let's think of a plan and then thinks of a plan and stuffs the thing in Janet's mouth. Like, she's the only right. one who and has the rest that, of them like, are like, oh, my God, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah, that wildly adaptive, like, survivalist mindset of, like, I am going to do the thing that gets me through this, and I'm it, and my brain is not going to freeze up. You know, I'm going to survive yeah. this. But now she's dead again. <laughs> you know, the next episode is called Janet, open parenthesis, S, end parenthesis, and I really, really am looking forward to it if it means all of them now have Janet powers. <laughs> Holy moly. That would be so great. <laughs> Although I don't know if the human mind is equipped to know everything. I, no. I think it might overwhelm them a little bit. So that so I don't know. If, do you want to talk slightly about the fact that Janet should have known all of this already? You know, I hadn't even thought about that. But you're correct. You're correct. She remembers, like, uh, all of Eleanor's exes. Yeah, know? so it's realistic. Michael really only seems to know the things that he has specifically studied. Um, so he knows everything about the humans' lives. But that's because it was part of his preparation for this project. Janet genuinely knows everything, and she should have known all of this. Now, you could make an argument that, like, well, she knew it, but she knew that Michael would have to see it firsthand. But, eh. Uh, eh. I don't know, because when they first arrive at Doug Forsett's house, and I think we should spend a good chunk of this time talking about my man Doug, but... Um, <laughs> When they first arrive at his house, like, you know, Michael's the one who's kind of geeking out, but she also is like, wow, you know, he's so thoughtful. Like, it dawns on her quicker that things are sort of not what they seem. But she's like, so you think that maybe she kind of intellectually knew all the things he was doing, but didn't comprehend like the despair that it had sent him into? That's possible. I mean, she she technically knows emotions because, you know, she tells Eleanor, like, none of your exes ever got over you. Like that's I was just not, thinking about that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's emotional. So she, technically she should know the emotions, but I'm wondering if, yeah, if, like, you know, they, maybe Doug has, is sort of lying to himself about how unhappy he is until they show up. Or, and so, you know, she's reading that he's sort of just, like, doing his thing um but yeah like it's you're right i hadn't really thought of that it shouldn't be a surprise to her that like he's only eating lentils and radishes and he doesn't have any like human friends and and that sort of that was maybe yeah the well i was gonna say that was the bleakest part but like do you want him to have inflicted this on children like no No, well, definitely actually, not. I, I, I hadn't even thought about kids, but I, you know, as I was watching it, I was like, you know, it's really telling to me that he's alone because... Well, it's basically monasticism. Yeah. Taken His to... life is indistinguishable from the life of a monk. It's just that he is the only one who follows his religion. And he happens yeah, to be the only point. one who's correct. But like... You know, a, a a monk of of any religion, or I suppose, uh, you know, the female version. You know, in Catholicism, it would be a nun. I think it would be, uh, you know, just like a sister or something in other religions. But whatever. You know, they often live extremely deprived lives, and they are only doing the things that they think are sort of 
correlated with eternal reward or something of that nature. Yeah. It's that's just that the things true. that it's just that he's happens to be right in this universe. But he is yeah. he is enacting this monastic life and in so it's sort of a a rebuttal of people who live that life, which is like sort of an interesting tack to, to or an interesting stance to take. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about it like that. I was I was I mean, that's the much like deeper point, so I we should talk about that. I mean, I was just thinking about it in terms of like it's telling to me that like he doesn't live with anybody because uh, even if you are two two good people living together in any kind of relationship, you're going to have conflicts and stuff like that. And it it made me sad because I thought to myself like, what if he has tried to have relationships and they haven't worked because he he would basically become a cult leader in any in any social situation he was in though if you think about it because he has this unerring sense that he is correct about the afterlife and he would he would certainly not countenance being around somebody who didn't sort of do this points maximizing thing he did so he would become a tyrant it, it would just be it would be even darker than it actually than what we saw or he would let like, I was like, it's interesting that they just had this random kid kind of walk all over him. Because I was like, there's there's a version of this where he, you know, has a partner who walks all over, who he, you know, lets, he lets his partner walk all over him. Or the other way around. The other way no, around. No, you meant, no, he lets his partner walk all over him. That's what you meant. Yes, yeah. that's what I did mean. Yeah. Like, there could potentially be a version of that. Like, well, as long as she or he is happy, like, then that's okay. And, you know, kind of takes it on the chin. But I don't know. It's it's it was very, it was real bleak. It was really bleak. Like he, he and then of course really the revelation funny, from Sean but... is that it doesn't matter, and he's still going to yeah. the bad place. Yeah, and you have to assume that this is because of that thing that Maya Rudolph said: is that you have to do good for the sake of doing good. Anything else is considered corrupt motivation in this system. So oh God, you're Doug's right. motive, Doug's motivation to get into the good place, or a religious person's motivation to go to heaven, or or Tahani's motivation to kind of be obviously charitable to show up her family. All of those motivations are considered corrupt, and therefore you get no points associated with the action, and therefore the end. You know, you do you do not get the Ooh. points. It's so bleak. so. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> but that's what this whole show has been driving at, right? Since yeah. almost the beginning, maybe even the first episode, that there is this point system and it's terrifically sort of unfair and brutal and dehumanizing. And what are we going to do about it? <laughs> well, and now we're sort of getting to the point where we're going to do something about it, which I think is the biggest... That's yeah, can I read a little snippet for. from yes. a Mike Schur interview that 100%. just they just published because it uh, it was in the wake of this episode. So the question, this is on Daily Beast. I really really recommend reading this. The question was after and this is like like a a huge chunk of the interview has already taken place at this part at this point. So there's like already been a lot of discussion about where the show's headed. But the interviewer asks, after the Doug Forsett fiasco, the show also seems primed to start chipping away at part of its own premise, the point system. It's been convincing us for a while that the system is fundamentally flawed. And with Doug, we see how adhering to it flawlessly actively harms a person's life. 
And Mike Schur says, well, we haven't questioned it really aggressively just yet. It's always kind of just been put forth like, this is the system, that's the deal, what are you going to do? It's omniscient. But now they've spent four or five episodes on Earth with the explicit intention of trying to help other people get in. They're basically experimenting, running a test, and it was sort of a natural thing to think, all right, well, they go around to Tahani's sister and Eleanor's mom and Jason's friend and his dad, and they do things that they feel are good, that they're helping. It's like, hey, we're doing it. We're helping people move on the right path. And at some point, they're going to want to know how close they're getting. So now comes the moment in episodes 9 and 10 when they get to actually see what effect they're having on the people that they've been helping. And that's kind of going to shift us into the next phase of the show. (laughs) Okay. What? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. That sounds bleak. Speaking of bleak things. Because the the implication is uh, none of the people that they've helped (laughs) are going to the good place at all. No, but we talked about that. Like, we talked about that with... Are you the... accusing of Mike Schur of, of stealing material from us? No, 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 no. I'm saying, like, <laughs> we already... It's not a. It's not going to be a surprise to us if, it was like, if it's like, guess what? Camilla doesn't get into the good place. Like, we know that. Right. But it's... That is... Whew, that's a lot. <laughs> Mike Schur is just, like, very quietly uh, just, like, ruining our dreams over here. You know, I think it's interesting that he characterizes the show as not having really questioned the point system, because that's never how I took it. I took it from the start as the point system being very, very flawed. I think maybe implicitly, like we're supposed to kind of gather that, but like the characters themselves, like I remember when we were having a discussion about season one, I think this was like when we went and did the guilty knowledge rewatch of the pilot. That you had a moment when you were like, oh, you know, for as good a person as Cheedy is, you know, he's your TV husband. Of course, we love him. Of course he is. You said, you said, you know, for as good a person as he is, he doesn't question the morality of there being a point system. He I just did say Ele- that. Yeah, he says, he just says to <laughs> Eleanor. <laughs> yeah, don't you love when I, you're, this is our whole relationship. I'm like, you said this. You're yes. like, yes, I did. That I'm sounded smart. smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he doesn't um, he doesn't question the morality of the point system. He just says to Eleanor, you don't belong here. So even he is fine with, oh, well, there's a good place and a bad place. And if he believes he got, he got into the good place, then he's fine with other people being in the bad place. He's just following the rules. So, so that was the pilot episode that you're supposed to start picking up on. Like, there's something off here. There's something off, but it's the, it's the, what's implicit in what's going on rather than the characters actually coming out and interrogating it themselves. This is the first time we've ever heard Michael say, it's, you know, I've been assuming, like, I've thought for a while that humans can change. So I was focusing on the humans. What I really need to focus on now is the system. I worry that the system is broken. Yeah. In a so, way that- so this is right. Is maybe not remediable. So this is something that I say a lot in like a real world context, which is that you cannot fix systemic problems with individual solutions, right? So you can't, so so for instance, student loan debt is a systemic problem. And everybody who puts forth individual solutions such as just stop getting your morning latte at Starbucks and then you'll have all this leftover money to pay off your student loan debt. 
Those are individual. Lol, what? All, <laughs> yes, I know. I mean, it's also completely ineffectual, right? But it's a, it's an individual solution to a systemic problem, and those never work. They might work for some people in a localized sense. It particularly helps if you have particular aspects of privilege. Individual solutions yeah. can work for people, individual people, given the very lucky set of circumstances, but in order to actually fix systemic problems, you need systemic solutions. Yeah. So for instance, you know, I mean, I don't know what the what the solution is with student loan debt, but it's going to have to be some sort of government program to fix student loan debt, right? I don't know what that's yeah. going to be, but that's what's going to have to happen. And, and this is the same thing here, right? Where we have been, this whole season, we've been performing the the dance of individual solution to systemic problems. We've been performing the dance of let's pick out these few loved ones who we hope we can kind of push over the line into the good place. That's an individual solution to a systemic problem. The systemic problem being you have this incredibly exacting, capricious system. Un- unforgiving that- system. Yes, exactly. That dooms the vast majority of humans to hell for all eternity. I mean, not just the sort of classical hell of, well, I'm separated from God or, you know, the the Greek hell of, you know, I don't remember my life anymore and I just kind of am a wandering shade. You know, it's like uh, horrifically comedic torture kind of hell. Nostril wasps. Yeah. Nostril wasps. Nostril wasps. Did that I get you I was on gonna say. No- nostril wasps? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought you were like... going to say on that topic. Oh. No, I didn't. No, it was good. You talk now. <laughs> no, you're right. You're you're totally right. And this is something that I think I wonder. There's always somebody benefiting from systemic problems, right? Great uh, point. When you talk about student loan debt. The people who benefit from that are uh, fat cats. <laughs> All uh, I know is it's some, fat cats. It's fat cats. To some degree, it's universities, but it's a lot of like loan companies and banks. Loan sharks. Loan sharks. You know, fat cats. Uh, All kinds of animals. <laughs> just, just really predatory animals. Um, <laughs> but there's always somebody who benefits from people. You know, healthcare in this country is another systemic problem. There are private insurance companies that argue against having a single payer solution because it would put them out of business. And, you know, there are there are oil companies that argue against clean energy because they want to keep their system going and blah 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 and, and there are you know, the gun lobby. Like, we could get into a lot of them. And I think that's what this... this sh- That's what this show is supposed to do, right? In, in a very, very comedic, nostril wasps kind of way, be like, have us examine the real I've world. I've often said there's say, nothing funnier than nostril wasps. Oh, yes. Other than, like, butthole spiders. That was the other one. Um, nah. But, like... You know, so it is supposed to, like, hold... Uh, I was just listening to our Black Mirror episode the other day, because like, I was getting a little nostalgic for when I hated everything. And, um, <laughs> you know, this show is supposed to, like, hold up a mirror. It's not a Black Mirror, but it's like a, you know... A dark mirror. <laughs> a, a tinged mirror to some of this stuff. So I'm interested to see 
we've talked about accountants being people who or being beings who like probably don't have you know maybe are a little sociopathic in the way that they make their you know oh it's just my job like i you know they don't think about the people that they're damning whatever but i'm also interested to see like the the top brass of the bad place and the good place like we've talked about this before too but like arguing to keep the system because it benefits them it's got to benefit somebody yeah it does this, so you know, a lot of is, a lot of go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, this, this is like, it's a corporate structure. We've seen that hell, that the bad place is a corporate structure. I would imagine heaven is too. You know, those are the structures that will, you know. Fight tooth and nail to remain, you know, the way that they are. Yes. Yes, this, to keep the status quo because, you know. Something, like, something, something. We, do, yeah. we don't know what it is yet. We're te- Yeah, like, we're 10 years out from the global financial crisis that, like, crippled the world. <laughs> And you have, the, you know, it's Jamie Diamond came and talked to your graduation. Don't even talk to me about that. It drives me nuts. But we're 10 years out from that global financial crisis. And what we see is those same big banks that got hammered for like <laughs> taking everybody's money and running are now saying, well, we don't need these financial regulations anymore. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's like, like all the Southern states saying they don't need the Voting Rights Act anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's these. So like, we're listeners. We're a little. It's a little 2018 <laughs> out there. So we're getting a little into it. But it's the same kind of stuff where like this is a corporate structure that you're you're exactly right. We'll fight tooth and nail to keep the status quo because it benefits them in some way. Now we don't we don't know if there's any financial benefit because it's the afterlife. So what do you need money for? But there has to be some benefit to this structure staying in place and i think that's i'm interested to see what we run up against there so so an interesting thing that was said in the comments section of the av club which i always like to read after the show has aired there were a bunch of people being like conspiracy theory there is no good place and i was like i thought yeah, about that i don't too. think i don't think they can pull that off. if like look jen obviously thinks there's a good place right Mm-hmm. Janet exists. Like how? Oh yeah, Mindy Saint. Cl- yeah, Mindy Saint Clair is in the medium place. You're telling me she's literally the best human who's ever lived. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we've talked I, about the good place being essentially a gated community. Um, yes, I believe that it has like a few hundred people in it. I would totally buy that, but I don't buy that it doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, to me, I kind of equate it with. I've heard of this happening a few times. Our dad worked in Jersey, and so he would talk about it in terms of Jersey. I have a coworker who used to live in D.C., and this happened there, too. Like, there's a public transit infrastructure project that would essentially connect a really wealthy neighborhood to a not wealthy neighborhood. Oh, God, it happens here, too. Yep. And And the wealthy neighborhoods pitch a fit and say, we don't want the ruffians for you know i'm being flipped but like you know we don't want that because we don't want to like you know we don't want the quote-unquote crime yes we don't want the crime and we all know what that means like i said it's a little 2018 out here but i could imagine the good place almost like closing itself off like being a gated community that is yeah. What if it hasn't admitted anybody in like a hundred years? That's what I mean. You know, That's exactly what, if, what I'm talking about. What if about? the standards have been getting higher and higher? You know, because we, yeah. if we trust what Michael says, Abraham Lincoln is in the good place. But maybe 
I mean, obviously, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, right? Like, it would be, it'd be hard to match that point <laughs> value. Um, but maybe yeah, it used to it. be, maybe it used to be like half and half people go into the good place or the bad place. And maybe now it's like, you know, 0.1% and, and 99.9% or maybe they really don't let anybody in anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely imagine it. Not that there is no good place, but there is functionally no good place because they can't let anybody in for whatever reason. Like nobody's getting in. I or maybe the, that. the maybe the the good place was capped at a certain number of people back when the universe began and it like hit the cap and now you know yeah i mean that's an interesting thing about like so we just had midterm elections and like there's a lot of you know after midterm elections there's a lot of talk about like representation for like larger states versus smaller states and that kind of thing and i saw a tweet that was like um, was it John Adams or something says, or Thomas Jefferson says like, it was well, just, it was just, it was, I know exactly what you're talking about. It, and it was just generic founding father. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was generic founding father says, you know, there's going to be two representatives for every state and somebody like 2018 person says, okay, well, what if there's 40 million people in California? And the founding father goes, there's how many spits people out, in what? It's, it's, it spits out his tea that was prepared by a slave. Yeah, that's I the, didn't want to go there, but that's, yeah. That's the stage direction. Spits out his tea that was prepared by a slave. How many people in what? Yeah, exactly. Yes. So you could potentially imagine, like, Whoever made John Adams. The rules. John Adams was not someone who. Uh, let's just clear John Adams's name. John Adams was not one of the slave-owning founding fathers. Okay, but um, he's from Massachusetts. I'm not. That was. I was just me saying okay because I wanted to move on, not because I don't believe you. <laughs> okay. Maybe he was visiting Thomas Jefferson when he said it. Um, <laughs> but. Um, no, I just meant like maybe there's whatever omnipotent being made the or beings made these rules when the universe began and there were, you know, two people on earth or whatever. Is <laughs> it different, you know, like what yeah, are you sure. bo- this is Adam and Eve? <laughs> no, I'm just you know what I I'm not, you know. You're talking about the population bottleneck that occurred in on the coast of Africa however many that's, millions of years ago. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. She says that she Googles population bottleneck. It's why we as humans are so much more genetically similar to each other than most species are, is because we hit a population bottleneck. Oh, I better I better I better Google when exactly this happened because I'm going to look like a moron, but... I've already looked like a moron for both of us, so... I... I... Well... (laughs) Uh, I believe you. Apparently I've... I've put my foot in some controversial things. I'm just gonna... (laughs) Gonna back off of that. It's this episode. (laughs) Um... I mean, this whole episode is controversial things, really. Um, we're taking down organized religion. We're taking down corporations. We're apparently spouting some conspiracy theories about eugenics that we didn't know. It's great. <laughs> it wasn't. Ge- no, it's not eugenics. It's just. It's just <laughs> academic infighting. It's oh, not. Okay. It's I not can sinister. handle. We can handle that. Talk about the bad place. <laughs> yeah. Talk about torture. Academic <laughs> infighting. Yeah, I mean, I kind of. I want to. Just to backtrack a little bit, I wanted Doug Forsett to like have his moment where he kind of lets loose. Maybe I hope we get that. I don't. Maybe we won't. Uh, 
I mean, if they find out that literally nobody gets into the good place, maybe they can go back to him and say, hey, guess what? You're going to the bad place regardless. So, like, just live the remaining days of your life, which admittedly aren't many, however you want. I wanted him to, like, show up at the bar at the very end and be like, you know what, guys? Like, you're right. I am going to relax and, like, walk in the middle of this giant fight and be like, oh, Oh, dip. (laughs) It's so, Uh, like, yeah, that would be so, like, um, you know, there are stories, certainly, of people who are very devout followers of a particular religion who like lose their religion. And then they have this sense of like, I gave up so much of my life to this and now I don't believe it to be true anymore. And it's always very tragic. And that would, I feel like Doug Forsett would not be like, yippee ki yay. You know, he'd be like, uh, I gave up everything and I'm still going to be eternally tortured. Okay, great. I'll just be Um, killing myself now. It happened to a guy I knew in college. He was very, very devout with a particular religion. And then I saw him, like, years later. Uh, like, very devout to the point where, like, he wouldn't curse, he wouldn't drink. He, you know, had very strict, like, rules that he set for himself, or you know, based on the morality of, of this particular sect of this religion that he followed. And then I saw him years later, and I expected him to kind of be the same way. So I was, like, with a few friends who didn't know him. And I was like, oh, you should just be aware, like, this is how this guy is. And, you know, not a judgment thing, but just, like, a watch your language and stuff around him. Mm -hmm. And we went out, and he was drinking, and he was, like, telling dirty jokes or whatever. Head-to-toe tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) Not head-to-toe tattoos, but I was like, hey, man, like, what's up? And he goes, oh, yeah, no more of that. And I was like, oh, okay. And he basically came to that conclusion after um you know some life of some events in his life after he graduated college prompted him to do some soul searching about like why am i following this this closely and all that kind of stuff but you know so in a way it was good that he kind of loosened up but in another way it meant that like he didn't quite know how to like he hadn't learned quite how to moderate in the same way. Like he went very, very extreme to the religion so that when he stepped away from that religion, he went very, very extreme away from it. So Mm. there was some excessive behavior on the other side that I think he had to learn how to moderate that as well. So I I could imagine that happening to somebody like Doug Forsett where like, it's, it's not a dripping faucet. It's like a hose when you turn it on, (laughs) you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, it's hard to know exactly if he would. Yeah, if he would just become hedonistic and nihilistic, or if he would continue following his system because he doesn't believe them, or if he would really just kind of end it all, or what? That was cheaty, right? It wouldn't be good. No, that was cheaty. Wearing the like wine T-shirt and making the peeps chili. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just like nothing matters. I'm just gonna eat peeps chili. Yeah, another Um, interesting thing in that Daily Beast Mike Schur interview was how he basically, the things that we said last week about determinism, he said those exact things. Like, determinism is stupid. You have to act as though your actions matter and your choices are real. Like, because what choice do you have? Yeah, I mean, that's a... Well, it's good to know we're we're on the same page as Mike Schur. Yeah, as Mike Schur. Um, Do you remember that line from, from early in this season that uh, Eleanor says about America where she's like you know in America like individualism and if you get sick then you just have a GoFundMe do you remember that yeah I do it's the best yeah, system so yeah my, yeah Mike sure confirms that that is a Megan Amram line 
That's amazing. We love you, Megan Amram. I mean, of course it is. Megan Amram. Yeah. We love you. We do love you. I also wanted to just uh, mention, like, while we're on this sort of, like, making good choices convo, um, one of the things that stuck out to me was, like... Is this like, an intervention? I, t- no. I don't care to be intervened. No, I love my choices. I love my dark chocolate M&Ms, and just leave me you alone. Make- Let me have oh them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Trust me when I tell you that of all the people in my life, like, what would I do an intervention for you for? Like, you play too much Pokemon Go. Like, what would I, I do? do. Oh, God. <laughs> Should I give out my friend um, code on the air? <laughs> I get... What does that mean? I don't play Pokemon Go. It's fine. <laughs> okay. One of the things that, you know, I felt when I was watching it was like Doug Forsett is kind of the most extreme version of what Eleanor... Do you remember the fight that she and her boyfriend have in the episode where... The, the sexual harassment coffee guy. Yeah, where like she keeps going to the coffee shop and he's like, well, we can choose not to do that. Like... And then she gets back in his face and says, like, you know, oh, we can't, you know, like, I have tickets to this basketball game, but, like, this basketball player, like, harassed somebody or, you know, this is unethical and that's unethical and cheerleaders are mistreated or whatever. And they have, like, this whole argument. And she basically says, like, it's impossible to live like that. So we should just, like, do whatever we want to do and, like, not worry about it. And it's not like anybody's keeping score. Doug Forsett (laughs) is, like, the exact extreme opposite of that he is yeah not making like he's making decisions but he's making them like convinced that people are keeping score so he is he's almost like making decisions to not make other decisions if that makes sense i can't quite articulate what i'm trying to say but like he's making certain decisions so that he well he doesn't really have a moral code per se he just yeah. knows, he just, I think, knows the point values of a lot of things and is just working on maximizing, which is very dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it's it's, it's like, <sighs> yeah, I mean, El- Eleanor basically s- says, if it's the slightest inconvenience to me, I don't care to do the thing that is better for everybody. Right. And Michael McKeon says... Even if it is the greatest possible inconvenience to me, I need to do the thing that is the greatest possible good for everybody. Yeah. So yeah. in that sense, That's yeah, the they, are, they are polar opposites. Yeah. And the show, I think, argues against both of those viewpoints. Yeah, I agree. I think the show, I think the show wants you to boycott coffee shops run by sexual <laughs> harassers and yes. also eat things other than radishes and lentils. And your own pee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Michael has like has just this moment where he's like, just you know, relax, man. It's it's not that bad, and and you can kind of see like the the real fear in Michael McKeon's voice. Oh yeah, Michael. By the, the way, Michael McKeon deserves major props for his acting in this he episode. He does. I think he, he nailed it. Yeah. So Rolling Stone says the performance is a marvel of comic sincerity while also painfully dramatic as we discover the downside of living your best life with only the point system in mind. He has made himself utterly miserable in order to maximize universal good, yet he accepts his agony with a smile on his face. Um, yeah, he's almost like like a Christ-like figure. Yeah. 
And yeah, it's just, yeah, Michael McKeon does a wonderful job, but he really, he's like, look, I, I can't risk it. Like, I just can't afford to, it, it's... Let my guard down for a moment, yeah. Yeah, and you, you gotta wonder, like, what is your life every day if you, if you live like that? Because, I mean, if you want to, I'm all for, like, your choices matter. I, I, I believe that 100%, and it's not like, oh, we're just being controlled by some higher power so you know i can't order an iced tea because like everything's just been determined for me like what what eleanor was saying the other episode i'm all for the fact that your choices matter but like to police yourself to that degree means that you have like what joy do you have in your life well this is the difference between i mean i don't do you actually believe in an afterlife uh i don't know sometimes i find <laughs> it 56 no, episodes mean... in and we haven't had this conversation yet it's kind of amazing <laughs> well, I know you don't. I for you know, sure I... don't. And I in fact I in fact think that the belief the human belief in an afterlife is one of the most damaging beliefs you can have for exactly the reason <laughs> of Doug yeah. Forsett. I mean, he he is one potential horrible outcome of belief in an afterlife, which is that your entire life is spent slave to an imaginary system and then you right. die and nothing happens. Because guys, guess what? Nothing happens. Sorry, Brianna. Um, the other horrible... <laughs> I not really told you I felt yet, but sure. <laughs> well, okay, I'll give you that chance in a second. But the other horrible <laughs> outcome, of course, is that you commit some horrible atrocity in the name of something that you think is, you know, going to get you into heaven, you know, like 9-11. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? guys. I So I should just mention before this, uh, for my job, I was... Just, uh, I had to edit a bunch of essays about terrorism today, so, and then I watched this episode of The Good Place, <laughs> like, oh, after that. And so I was literally reading about, like, why do people become radicalized, and, like, you know, why did 9-11 happen, and then I watched this, so it is a very interesting uh, connection you can make. Yeah, but what, what, yeah. why don't you finish your statement of belief? <laughs> no, I mean, like... look, I, I think I have had trouble with with the idea of the afterlife and the sort of like God component of religion, you know, we're, we've, this is not a secret. We're, we're both, we consider ourselves Jewish. We are, are Jewish, but the cool thing about Judaism and the interesting thing about Judaism is that it is about being a good person now because we don't have a hell. We don't really know what happens after we die. Like that's, what Judaism is about. So I think it lends itself pretty well to there is no afterlife and, and uh, you know, we got to be good people while we're on earth. I've had, you know, trouble with the idea of an afterlife. I think I believed in it when I was little. And then as I got older, oh, sure. Some, of course I did too. Yeah. Yeah. And some stuff happened in my life. I was like, hmm, maybe this is, I don't know about that, but I will say that like, it's comforting it's a comforting thought if you know Of course it is. Who... That's why it exists as an right. idea. That's what I mean. Like, I can understand why, you know, if somebody's really suffering or if you're going through a really hard time to believe that there is an eternal reward or to believe that there is a place you'll where... You'll see them again. I mean, You'll yeah. see them again, exactly. There's a Or there's a place where, like, if somebody's really, really having, you know, suffering a lot and then they pass away, to be able to say, like, they're in a better place now, they're at peace, like, they're not going to hurt anymore. It's comforting. I understand why it exists, but the the twisted piece of it is that 
the idea of an afterlife is also twisted to scare people into adhering to systems because they're they're worried about being tortured. I mean, that's what this whole thing is. So I don't I certainly don't believe in that. I don't believe that we exist on this earth just to be tortured for all eternity. I guess I also don't believe in the eternal reward, but I understand that it's comforting to people. And I have certainly had times in my life when it was comforting to me to imagine that it existed. I'll say that. Sure. Uh, uh, A lot of, I'm going to use some pejorative language and I hope I don't really make anyone super angry, but a lot of fairy tales are comforting. A lot of bedtime stories are comforting. A lot of lullabies are comforting. You know, it's, it's nice to believe. There's a lot of things that are nice to believe, you know, very few of them are true. Um, the things that are true that we can believe things like, you know, the human family is one family and we're all very close cousins genetically. That is a true thing that is nice to believe. uh, Because of the population. population It really did happen. I don't know if it's (laughs) the one that, that came up when I Googled population bottleneck, but um, there certainly have been human population bottlenecks in the past, but we are, you know, we're very closely genetically related to each other. I mean, it's also nice to believe that we're related to all organisms on Earth, and that's also true. There's a lot of things based in science that are, that are, it's nice. I mean, then there's also lots of things based in science that are horrible, like the fact that, you know, the Earth really doesn't care if we live or die. And in fact, right. it would probably AIDS be exists. totally cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That too. I, but, um, the, the, the whole notion of, of the afterlife, a lot of supernatural beliefs, I think are mostly harmless. And this particular one, I think is very harmful. Um, but like nine 11, <laughs> we're just yelling nine 11. <laughs> I am now Rudy Giuliani. This, this, is, the, <laughs> this is the Giuliani cast. <laughs> Can we change topics before? I, I think like... we should in fact wrap up. Uh, no, I have week... one more thing I want to say. Oh, Okay, go ahead. What? Why have that? You don't know what I'm going to say. I was in New York City. (laughs) (laughs) 9-11. You know who wasn't there? Hillary Clinton. There are photos of me with Hillary Clinton, but she wasn't there. Fake news. Giuliani cast. (laughs) So I was listening back to a few of our other episodes recently. I'm just going to ignore you. <laughs> just, just, you, your voice saying, are we just yelling 9-11 now? <laughs> okay, hold on, I'm going to drink some water. <laughs> ah, okay, go ahead. Um, you were listening so back to some old episodes. Yeah, I was listening back to some old episodes, uh, Cheers and Friends and a few other ones. And like a recurring theme in a lot of sitcoms that I have taken issue with on this show is just tell people how you feel. Like, Oh yeah, Eleanor's so good at that. And that's... God bless her. I wanted to, instead of ending on 9-11, I thought I would end on... (laughs) Oh, I didn't just say 9-11. Instead of 
ending on that, I figured I wanted to end on something a little like more hopeful and cheerier. Um, which is that like I actually think this show does a great job of characters telling each other how they feel. I, 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 oh, it's totally. So, it's so refreshing. There's not like exactly these whole the season long. Use. Yeah. I mean, there is the season long arc in season two of Eleanor deciding whether or not she wants to tell Chidi about the tape. Although I think that doesn't, I mean, it's not really season long. It doesn't last that long. It's right? not. It, no, it's, it's only a few episodes. And what she's grappling with there is like understandable. And you know, like, she has she grapples with her feelings for him at a few different points, um, season one, season two, yeah, and pretty now much season constantly, three. yeah. But she, so she grapples with her feelings, but they never let her pine for that long. They never let her like, you know, we're gonna like build up to this, like, and we're gonna like sort of torture the audience with like, oh, will they? Won't they? Will they? Won't they? Will they? Won't they have? And they will again, probs. But she's great, and and I think, like, you know, even Tahani's advice in this episode of, like, listen, the only reason you want him to know that it happened before is because you probably want it to happen again, and, like, she literally says something like, uh, it's never a bad idea to tell someone how you feel. Like, Oh, yeah, it's such great advice, too. It's the best advice, and, and instead of saying, like, well, you don't understand, I can't do that, she goes, you know what, you're right. And then when she's faced with an opportunity, she has a moment of saying, like, I can't do this. And then she goes, you know what? We could die. I got to tell you how I feel. And like, it's this. And, and I love the fact that like, she's like, look, I don't know how you feel, but like, this is how I feel. And I got to tell you. And I think in contrast with, you know, Michael Schur's a huge fan of cheers. And obviously like there was a lot of will they, won't they with Jim and Pam. There was a lot of will they, won't they with Ben and, and Leslie Brooklyn nine, nine there's Amy and Jake for a while. Like, there are, there's a lot of will they, won't they in the more like traditional sitcoms that Michael Schur has worked on. And this show, I just think, I find it so refreshing that I guess he's like at a point narratively where he's like, no, people just say how they feel and we move on. Cause like there is drama in that as well. It doesn't always have to be people pining for each other. You can actually say how you feel and that can move the story in an interesting direction too. I really appreciate that. Here, here. I second that. Now, before we yeah. close up, yeah. Mike Schur, stunt casting for the accountant. Go. Who do you want? Ooh. Someone from Parks and Rec, someone from The Office, or someone from the Cheersiverse? It's because someone you know on AV who... Club suggested Kelsey Grammer, and I was like, oh, dip. <laughs> that would be um, really good. You know who I want? No. John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. That's who I want. <laughs> really? No, yes. the accountant has to be someone who's sort of like officious and... Uh, you know, emotionless, and that's not that guy. No, because he is emotionless in that he only ever cares about himself. He's just really funny and wacky while he does it. Mm. I'm I'm saying like because we have like Sean is the. I'm sorry. Man is there a the twelve situation. alarm fire on your street? It is Saturday night in Brooklyn, baby. <laughs> <laughs> It's really funny because <laughs> nothing happens all day. I'm, I was in my apartment all day. Not a peep. Not a peep. We start recording and people start lighting their apartments on fire. They're recording Just like 9-11! <laughs> oh, Jesus. Do we have to put a content warning 
on this episode? <laughs> this is Giuliani cast. <laughs> Next week is Thanksgiving, and we're taking the week off. <laughs> Who do you wait? Wait, wait. Who do you want to be? Um... I thought Kelsey Grammer was a perfectly good choice. Oh, because it would be like a cheers. The sirens callback. agree with you. Yeah, right. Or ooh, um, ooh, I don't. I, if we're gonna do no, 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 no. Ooh. If we're gonna do Cheers, it's got to be BB Newworth. Oh th- yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. You. Yep, Lilith, you nailed the it. accountant. That's who we yes. want. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Okay. Good. I'm glad we got that squared away. So <laughs> you hear that, Megan Amram? Get BB Newworth on the phone now. <laughs> Next week is Thanksgiving and we're taking it off. We'll see you guys the week after. There is no Good Place episode the week after. There is one the following week, the first week of December. So our next episode will be something else. Um, Maybe like a Hallmark Christmas movie or something. We haven't totally decided. And then, so this is episode 56. Episode 57 will be something like a Hallmark Christmas movie. Episode 58 will be the last Good Place episode for 2018 called Janet's with the S in parentheses. I hope they all have Janet powers. And uh, then for the sort of hiatus in the the mid-season hiatus, we're going to be probably doing movies that we have themed in some way. Uh, Happy to take suggestions on that. I really want to do do Lost Month. No. Okay. Super not interested. Okay. I want to do that Robert Downey Jr. movie. (laughs) So you want to do Death Month? Well, you like fun Death Month. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're not going to watch like The Hours (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Terms of Endearment. That's a great movie though. (laughs) Somebody dies in The Hours, right? I didn't make that up. Did I? Uh, Nicole Kidman commits, uh, well, Nicole Kidman as Virginia Woolf commits suicide. Yeah. I think there's some other deaths as well. No, thank you. It's wolf. I said woof. I said like as I, a... I know it was a joke. Oh, I'm so sorry. We need I that. We ne- we need that week off. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually gonna see each other, so it's not actually week yes. off for us. <laughs> no, We're gonna like not. be up in each other's biz for like five full days. <laughs> I don't know. Until next week, like practice taking down people with pool cues. We will see you in two weeks, ding dongs. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Knock, knock. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs>